Good morning and welcome to our daily dose of Torah. Today's Thursday. We will explore Jewish history. We've been exploring the Second Temple period. And last lesson we got up until the Hanukkah story. And today we will discuss the tragic aftermath. By way of introduction, there is one of the mitzvot in the Torah that appear towards the end that tells us, which literally translates as, do not make gashes in yourself. Do not tear your skin on purpose. There was a pagan practice in old times that upon losing a loved one, people would literally make cuts in the skin. And the Torah warns us against doing this practice, God forbid, after a loss in the family. Now, parenthetically, we know the Jewish tradition is to tear kriya, to make a rip in one's garments. According to Kabbalah, that is to signify that when one loses a loved one, it is only the body, hence the garment of the soul, that we have lost. But the soul is eternal, and the connection to that soul is eternal. The body is only a garment, hence we make a tear in the garment. But nonetheless, the Torah warns us against making an incision inside of the body. Now what's interesting is the Talmud reads that verse differently. It gives another interpretation. Those words also mean in Hebrew to make groups or to make factions. And with this instruction, the Torah is warning us not to create competing factions amongst the Jewish people. The Talmud explains exactly how and when that mitzvah applies. But nonetheless, what's unusual about this is often the Talmudic interpretation of a verse will be a deeper spin on the regular interpretation. It'll be something similar. Yet in this case, it seems to have absolutely nothing to do with the literal meaning. The literal meaning has to do with making gashes on your skin and comes along the Talmud and makes another interpretation about not creating fragmentation amongst the Jewish people. The Maharal of Prague explains it beautifully. When the Jewish people are not united, when we have group against group, when we do this, we literally are cutting up the human organism. We are taking the Jewish people, which should be one, which are meant to be one unit, and we're creating gashes inside of that body. And sadly, when that happens, the sharks around us smell blood. When we are united, that is the ultimate vessel for God's blessings. Unfortunately, when we are divided, we are so vulnerable to the enemies around us, tragically, having seen this with our own eyes in the last few months. After a year, of so much infighting amongst the Jewish people in the Holy Land. That is today's introduction to this time period after the Hanukkah story. When we discuss this story on the holiday, when we learn about it in Hebrew school or even in classes, it focuses on one particular era of the miracle when Judah the Maccabee, along with his brothers, and a small army of perhaps 6,000 soldiers fighting in guerrilla-style warfare defeat this mighty Greek army of more than 50,000 with advanced weapons of those times and as discussed in last week's class they fight to preserve judaism to keep judaism jewish to keep the faith in our almighty god and not to hellenize judaism and then they come back and they rededicate the temple and we know that part of the story what is less known is that these battles continue over the next 30 years between the maccabee brothers and the Greeks. And while there are many victories during that time, there are also many casualties. And it's a difficult period of constant warfare. And sadly, one by one, the Maccabee brothers themselves die during this period of time. It is Shimon, Simon, that is the last Maccabee that is living. It's in the year 142 BCE, during the reign of Simon, as well as the Seleucid monarch Demetrius, that they finally have enough. And the Greeks sue for peace, all sorts of negotiations in that, but finally the bloodshed stops. 
Now, interesting to note, the Maccabees came from a Kohen family. Their father, Matisyahu, was the high priest, and they functioned at that time both as the priestly family as well as the political and military leaders of the Jewish people. And they did that because there was no one else available. They came to the rescue. They stood up at a time where no one else was taking action. But now when there finally is this peace, Simon Shimon, the last of the brothers, maintains the status quo. He remains the high priest and also the political leader. He does not relinquish that to another tribe to have the division of powers traditional in Judaism, where typically the monarchy or the Jewish political leader would come from Judah. But here, Shimon, Simon, keeps the leadership. And as we will see, tragedy follows. This begins a 103 era known as the Hasmonean kingdom that's going to be marked by great territorial expansion of the Jewish people, but sadly, terrible moral and religious decline, and yes, the infighting amongst the Mishpacha. In fact, historians as well as the Book of Maccabees says that Shimon himself, the last remaining Maccabee, is assassinated by his very own son-in-law in wrestling for power. After Shimon passes away, it is his son, Yoichanan Horkanus, that becomes the next leader of the Jewish people, again, both the high priest and the political and military leader, and quite the military leader he is. He expands the borders of Israel, strengthens the country, but tragically makes a mistake along the way. He encounters a nation, the Edomians, and with these people being conquered, he does something that Judaism has never done before nor since. He forcibly converts the Edomians that he captures, something done without the approval of the rabbis, of the sages of that time. There will be tragic consequences of this mistake. Later in history, we will see a horrible king, Herod, that will be a descendant of these Edomians. The sages are not pleased with his behavior. They do not want him to continue as high priest. And sadly, at this time, he makes a turn to the more modern, secularized, Hellenized Jews, as explained in last time's class, at this point in history, you already have the beginning of the Sadducees, a movement that believed in the written Torah, but had no respect for the oral tradition or the authority of the sages, feeling that everyone could interpret the Torah as they wanted, creating a lifestyle in which you could really do whatever you wanted. His son, Alexander Yanai, who takes over after him, is even more Hellenized than his father, he starts leading the nation in the wrong direction, and then tragedy strikes on the holiday of Sukkot. He serves as the high priest, and he wanted to bring out the idea strongly in front of everyone that we do not believe in the oral tradition. There is a beautiful rabbinic tradition called Simchat Beit HaShoeva. This was a tradition passed down all the way since Moses, but not specifically written in the Torah. It was only orally transmitted that water was poured on the altar on the holiday of Sukkot, accompanied by great festivities. He took the water, and rather than doing the service with it, he just discarded it. And the people at that time had enough to see this disrespect done by the high priest on the holy day of Sukkot. They took the esrogs in their hand, and they pelted him with it. When he sees the opposition against him, he sadly turns to violence, executes 800 Jews, beginning an era in which the sages lived with fright. There is, however, one bright spot in this challenging period of Jewish history. After Yanai's death, his widow, Shalom Tzion, or in English, Salom Alexandra, takes over. She is a righteous queen. In fact, this may have been the best seven or eight years of the entire Second Temple period. She leads with wisdom and compassion. Torah begins to flourish amongst the Jewish people again. At this time, we were told that for the first time, a 
school system is established allowing every Jewish child the right to study Torah up until that point. It was an obligation of parents to teach Torah to their kids. And I'm sure those that had the means were able to hire a teacher, a malamed for their kids, but not every child had access to it. In those times, due to her leadership and the fact that she was brothers with one of the great sages, Shimon, the school system begins so much so that the Talmud writes, if not for that, the Torah would have been forgotten from the Jewish people, likely as a result to all the Hellenism that they were competing against. But tragically, when she passes away, she has two children. There's fighting between both of them, Horkinus and Aristobulus. Both of them are Hellenized. And in their argument with one another, they turn to Rome, to Pompeii, to intervene in their dispute. And sadly, Rome does just that and much, much more as the Romans slowly tighten their grip over Judea in the following decades. How tragic is it that the infighting amongst the Jewish people, even within the Mishpachis themselves, led to the downfall just a short while after the miracles of the Hanukkah story. What a lesson to us today to learn from. We Jewish people will not agree on every issue, but when we have these disagreements, we should do so from a place where we recognize the essential bond that we share how we are one, and when we are one, then we are blessed.